0: If you would uh, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And if you'd like to follow along, there should be a, a Bible in the seat in front of you underneath, but the words will also be up on the screen. John chapter 6, we're picking up in verse 22. John 6, 22, it says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world.' They said to him, "'Sir, give us this bread always.' Jesus said to them, "'I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe.' So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me, And I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, your your word reminds us that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Lord, so we come to you this morning and ask that you would feed us with your eternal and abiding word. Pray that you would help us to receive your word. Help me, Lord, as I communicate what your word teaches And I pray that you would would fill us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. He is one of the most sought-out doctors in the country, perhaps in the entire world. He's easily accessible, accessible to anyone who looks for him. And those who come and seek his counsel, they're never denied. He always says, yes, yes, I will take your case. I will help you. And the best part about it is that he doesn't charge a cent. He doesn't charge anything. Anybody who comes to him, he does it free of charge. He will tell you. He will diagnose your symptoms and your illnesses. And if you're wondering, who is this doctor that I'm talking about and how do you get a hold of him, I'll tell you. His name is Dr. Google. Google. And all you need is internet access, and he's right there for you, 24-7. A personal health testing company polled about 2,100 Americans and found that 65% of those polled had said that they had tried to self-diagnose using Google. And 74% of those individuals also said that these efforts had actually stressed them out. And the reason is because that diagnosing themselves or oh, the diagnosis that they found online was actually inaccurate more than half the time, which means that people falsely convince themselves that they have a serious illness. So while he is free of charge and he's accessible to you, I'm not exactly sure I would commend him to you. Misdiagnosis is a serious concern. I mean, about 12 million Americans every year are misdiagnosed. Right, that's a problem because misdiagnosis means to leads to medical malpractice, which then means that the true cause of illness is never really addressed. So, we've been, if you've been following along in the book of John, we began chapter 6 last week, and the crowds were following Jesus because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick, namely that, people, that Jesus was healing people of all their diseases and illnesses. And so, these, this crowd as following Jesus, they look at what Jesus is doing, all the signs that he's doing, they're listening to his words, and they're also looking at their present situation, right? They're under Roman authority, they're under Roman rule, and they're also thinking about the Passover celebration that was coming up. And then they then make this connection that Jesus is this, this great prophet of God, sort of like this second Moses who's come to deliberate them from Roman rule and lead them to a new exodus and to lead them into a new promised land, But what they're doing is misdiagnosing themselves. So through Jesus' works, they made the interpretation that Jesus is the cure to what they felt was their greatest need of that time. But it was only masking what they truly needed, and that is deliverance from sin and death. But Jesus doesn't interpret things the way they do. Instead, he provides for them an an accurate diagnosis of their situation, and he offers a cure to their deepest spiritual need. So first, let's look at the misdiagnosis. So verse 25, when the crowds found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So moments before this, the crowd that was following Jesus, it tells us that there was about 5,000 men in number. Now if you include the women and the children that most likely were there, that number could have easily swelled up to about 20,000 people. And so, but this crowd that follows Jesus across the sea is significantly less in number. And so, the crowd misdiagnosed their symptoms, and they continue to look to Jesus as their cure, which is the right thing that they should do, but they're looking to Jesus for the wrong reasons. And Jesus is unwilling to do for them what they desire, because that would not cure their sickness. Now, if you were here last week, or if you listened to last week's sermon, Notice that there's a change in the crowd's reason for following Jesus. Back in, when we looked at this last week, the crowds were following Jesus says, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And now Jesus actually is, actually, is aware of this. So that now the crowds, this crowd that's, that's crossed the sea and is following Jesus, they are doing so because they ate their fill of the loaves. Or in other words, Jesus made their bellies full when they were hungry. That is the reason why they're following him. To which Jesus responds, don't work for the food that perishes, but work for the food that endures to eternal life. So the root of the problem is, is weak desires caused by sin. Right? Everybody wants to be happy and satisfied. Right? We all want, we're all after the pursuit of pleasure in some way, shape, or form, whether that's in a person or an object or a thing or a job or even a particular event like a vacation, now, to seek pleasure and to seek happiness is not a bad thing, right? That's what we were created to do. God put that in us. However, as one person had said before, our problem is not that we want to be pleased, but that our desire to be pleased is too weak. The crowd that was following Jesus had weak desires. They were thinking about being liberated from Roman oppression. They were hungry, and so Jesus fed them, right? Those are, those are legitimate desires, but they didn't go far enough, right? Because we, I mean, just think, about, just think about food, right? Which is hard not to think about because if you're hungry and we're about to have lunch pretty soon, but just think about food, right? We eat food all the time. We love food. We love the taste of food. We like the, the, the feeling of satisfaction when we have food, the feeling of nourishment. We eat all the time. Even when we're not hungry, we eat, but as great as food is, the problem with food or seeking happiness and pleasure and, and satisfaction in food and even for that matter in jobs or in people or in things or objects is that those, is that it never lasts, right? It takes you an hour to prepare a meal and it's gone in 15 minutes or it's gone in one minute if you have a child like my youngest who will just take the plate and just throw it on the floor and then it goes all the food, right? But food just doesn't last that long. It's here it's there and it's gone in a moment. But then, even after we eat, well, it's only a few hours later when we are hungry again, and we're right back where we started. But what if, what if God gave us this this hunger for food, not just so that we can have, not so that we only, not so that we just know when to eat, so that our bodies are our bodies are nourished. But what if God gave us the need for food, so that we would understand and realize that's just how temporary pleasures are in this world. What if if that hunger is, is, is there for us to realize that we were created to hunger for something much better, for something that's more permanent, something that will actually last. But we keep eating this stuff up, we keep going through all these things that we find happiness and pleasure in, and then we realize that they never last, and we're right back where we started. Maybe this is the reason why Jesus says in Matthew six twenty-five: Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So, Jesus is wanting us to pursue something that will actually last. And that is seek first the kingdom and God's righteousness. Maybe Jesus said this because life is much more than just food and clothing and money, and temporary pleasures. That's why he says to the crowd, don't make your life about pursuing temporary pleasures. Don't labor for the food that perishes, but seek that which endures to eternal life. And then that leads the crowds to ask an insightful question. So in response, they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, "What then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Right, so these followers ask, what do they need to be doing in order to be doing the works of God? And that question is insightful about their true spiritual condition. The question presumes that in order to receive this eternal bread that Jesus is offering, in order to receive this eternal life that Jesus is making available to them, that they have to do something to earn it or to merit it. What do we need to do, Jesus, in order to to receive this food? What do we need to do in order to earn it? But if eternal life is earned, then you don't need Jesus. If all you had to do was to make sure that your good works outweigh your bad works, then that doesn't make Jesus your Savior. That makes you your Savior. That's not what the Bible teaches, and that's what Jesus is getting at when he tells them that they must believe in him. Jesus is the cure. Jesus is the answer to our problem of sin, the sickness that we all have. And so let me define sin to you in this way. Sin is when you willfully choose temporary fleeting pleasures over the eternal transcending pleasures that are found in God and God alone. It's not that you should never seek happiness and joy and pleasure in things in this world, right? Those things are, there's a lot of good things to find joy in. But when you are ultimately finding your joy, your eternal joy, and this uh, permanent, permanent satisfaction in things in this world that don't last, when you instead could have it, in Jesus Christ and in God, well, then that is offensive to God. Because it is, when we don't have this eternal joy and contentment in the Lord, well, then we seek it in other things. We fail to find contentment in the things that we do have. That's why oftentimes it leads, these misguided desires lead to immorality and adultery and drunkenness and finding your identity in things and in people or even in jobs. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. The New Testament has a lot to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and to take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ, and nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find, if we do so, contains an appeal to desire. Indeed, if we consider the uh, the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Jesus says that he is the cure for sin. The desire for joy and contentment and happiness and satisfaction and fulfillment, they're not bad desires, they're good desires. But the Bible is telling us, is trying to teach us that they're ultimately fulfilled in Christ. When you believe in him and his death on the cross for your sins, if you follow him, then he gives eternal life. And that is where your greatest joy will come from, come from. so that even though the temporary pleasures of, the, of this world, they are fleeting and, sometimes, and many times they don't last, you will still have joy and contentment and peace in your heart because they're not ultimately found in the things of this world, but they're found in God. But the crowd in the passage, still trusting in Dr. Google, failed to hear Jesus and instead asked him for a sign to prove that he is who he says he is, as this one who was sent by God, comparing them to their forefather Moses, who fed their forefathers bread from heaven. But Jesus already gave them a sign. Just moments ago, Jesus fed almost 20,000 of them using just five loaves of bread. Jesus is a second Moses, but the bread he gives is not the same bread that he fed them with just moments ago, but he is the bread of heaven that offers eternal life to all who believe in him. And those who eat of this bread, those that believe in him, will come to know that their greatest in hunger and their greatest thirst is not meant to be fulfilled in this world, but it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He will give to you that transcendent and permanent joy that you seek. But in order to receive this cure that Jesus is offering, you have to be drawn to the cure. So verse 34, the followers said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And there were questions about where he came from and who he is. And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves, because no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So then the people seem to, like, they're a little closer to understanding what Jesus is getting at. Jesus is offering them something much more substantial, something much better than the bread he had just fed them moments ago. So then they tell Jesus, give us this bread always. We want this bread. Into to which Jesus responds that he is the bread that he's offering. So we spent a couple of weeks ago talking about the will of Jesus. Jesus's will is to do the Father's will. And the Father's will is to send the Son into the world to die on the cross for the sins of his people. So Jesus is the full revelation of God. Everything that Jesus does, everything that Jesus says, all the miracles that Jesus performs, they're all intended to Displayed to the world that Jesus is the Son of God and that Jesus is the exact imprint of God, but these followers don't believe. And the reason they don't believe, Jesus says, is because they haven't been drawn by God the Father to Jesus, who is the cure. And Jesus makes this clear in John ten twenty five. It says, "I told you, and you do not believe." So God the Father brings people to Jesus. And Jesus says that those individuals who are given to him by God, that Jesus will never cast out. So every one of you this morning who are a follower of Jesus Christ are so because God drew you to the Son. And those who are drawn to the Son, the Son never loses. And Jesus continues, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And that's referring to an inward illumination of the heart by God. That is that when you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you didn't do that by your own understanding, not alone anyway. It's possible for a person to read the Scriptures, to understand the Scriptures, to memorize the Scriptures, to really understand the Scriptures, but not submit to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But when you come to understand the Scriptures... Something clicked, something happened, and you were compelled to commit your life to following Jesus Christ. That You didn't come to that understanding all on your own, but that came through a divine illumination from God. God was drawing you to his beloved son. But that in no way means that you didn't need to believe. Even though Jesus says that no one can come to him unless they are drawn by God to the Father, he still commands people to believe in him. It says in verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, or in other words, believes in him, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is the bread of life. To receive this bread... The person must digest it. And that means, in other words, that you must believe. You must believe in Jesus. If you want to receive life, then you must believe in Jesus, who is the one who gives his life to the world. And anyone who believes in Jesus has eternal life. And this is everyone without distinction because the Jews, they believe that they were the ones chosen by God. They were God's special people. But Jesus says, no, no. That God has people from every tribe, tongue, and every nation who belong to him and that God will draw everyone, all those who are his, to Jesus and they will believe in Jesus. And Jesus giving eternal life, offering this eternal life, he does so by offering up, by giving up his life through crucifixion. That's what Jesus was getting at in John chapter 3, verse 14, where it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, says that none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. There it is again. There's the problem of desire. The problem is that no one seeks for God. It's a problem rooted in sin. The problem is that people don't want God. People don't even care to seek for God. And then it says in Romans 3.21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward, as the propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So if you read through chapter through Romans, read the book of Romans begins with an introduction and then there's all this bad news about we are sinners. But then in chapter 3, we get to the good news of the gospel, that God makes a person righteous, that is, that he Takes away their sins. He forgives them of every transgression through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ because Christ paid the penalty for our sins. And anyone who believes in Jesus Christ is declared righteous. So Jesus Christ is the cure for sin. When you believe in Christ, you become new. You're giving a new heart. You're giving the Holy Spirit so that your heart no longer wants to find your eternal and permanent joy and contentment in the world, but it aims to seek it and find it in Jesus Christ. So even though God is the one who draws people to the Son, the individual is still required to make the choice to believe in Jesus Christ. That is why it's a good prayer. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, it's a good prayer to pray Lord, draw me to the Son. Draw me to Jesus Christ. Give me the faith to believe in Jesus. So then after describing to his followers what must happen in order for them to be cured of their actual spiritual condition, he then, Jesus describes to them the prescription. It says the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So what is the prescription? It is to eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink the blood of the Son of Man. Now, Jesus is not telling people that they ought to cannibalize him. That's not what Jesus is getting at. It's not the kind of picture I want to paint for you, especially since we're only moments from having lunch. But the audience would not have taken Jesus' words literally, but figuratively. But, even, but still, it's still vulgar and even scandalous language, especially considering that the law of Moses that they adhere to says that you shall not drink any blood. But all at this, at this point, the crowds are getting furious. And if you've been tracking the conversation from the very beginning, it starts out very mild manner and cordial. They're asking Jesus. Jesus is, is talking with them, but over time, the, the conversation progressively gets worse, at least for the followers, they because they start grumbling among themselves, and now at this point, they become visibly furious. But Jesus doesn't do anything to appease their anger. Instead, He continues to tell them the truth, and it is the truth that's angering them. And Jesus only makes, matters worse by, he only makes matters worse by prescribing to them that they, must, that they must feed on Jesus Christ because his flesh is true bread and his blood is true drink. And what Jesus means by that is that he is the one who ultimately satisfies. That in comparison to all the joys and pleasures and contentment that we can find in the world that has no, just doesn't compare to what is found in Jesus Christ. And I think Moses affirms this statement thousands of years before Christ came into the world. In Deuteronomy 8.3, when the Israelites were trekking through the wilderness, and they became hungry, and they were grumbling to Moses. And Moses prayed to the Lord, and, and God provided bread from heaven. Moses says this, he said, And he humbled you, and let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord." So the people that Moses led through the wilderness were grumblers, they were complainers like the followers of Jesus. And Moses is trying to get the people to see that man is dependent upon God far more than just for the necessities of this life. But they must seek the Lord for the true bread, for the things that are much more permanent and substantial, that are only found in him. He says he. So Moses says he let you hunger. And he fed you with manna so that you may know that the temporary pleasures of this world are fleeting. They're here one moment and they're gone the next. But the true, true pleasures are found only in God. So more important than feeding, uh, what we can see with our own eyes is that we pursue satisfaction through the words of God. And that is why John 1 tells us, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That Jesus is the word of God. And it is him that we must seek in order for us to be ultimately fulfilled. Jesus says, whoever digests him will abide in him. The word abide means remain, that you continue to remain with Jesus. Believing and following in Jesus is not just a one time event that you do at one point in your life, but it's, a, it's something you continue to do for the rest of your life. It's a commitment, it's a lifelong commitment to remain and abide with Jesus Christ. That means that the person must continually digest Jesus by digesting his word, by praying regularly, by fellowship with the saints, by following his commands, by continuing to trust the Lord. And when we take the Lord at his word, what we have is assurance. Taking the prescription that Jesus offers gives us a guarantee that we will never, ever, ever be lost. Jesus says that in in this passage, he says that those who are drawn by God to Jesus, that Jesus will never, ever cast out, that Jesus will never, ever, ever lose them. Once you are given to Christ, you belong to Christ forever. And that is assurance. Assurance in Jesus Christ means that you are practically indestructible until the Lord decides to call you home. And no matter what happens to you in this life, that you're never, ever, ever going to be lost. Imagine having a coin in your hand and closing a tight fist around that coin. And then imagine a small child trying to pry your fingers open, but he can't because he's not strong enough. That's, that's the picture that God wants us to have. That no matter the things that you go through in this life, that, that not even the devil himself can pry open the fingers of God and snatch you out of his hand. Now, what does this, what does, what does this kind of assurance do to a person? And one thing it does, is that it gives you joy. And 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, That which was from the beginning... So John wrote this letter to Christians who were struggling with assurance. He says that he writes these things so that our joy, so that the reader's joy may be complete. In other words, I write this letter so that you may have confidence and absolute assurance in the love of God for you. And for you to be assured of the love of God for your life gives me great joy. In fact, in in, one of the, in some of the early manuscripts, it says that, that he wrote this letter so that your joy may be complete. So in other words, he writes these things, or we could say that these scriptures are written for us. What Jesus says in John chapter 6 is written for us so that your joy would be complete in knowing that you have complete assurance of the love of God and that you will never lose it. It doesn't mean that you always walk with a smile upon your face. Joy doesn't come from outside circumstances, but joy comes from within. It is a state of being. When a believer has joy fueled by his assurance of God's love for him or for her God, it means that 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 saint is assured that God will come to deliver at the appropriate time. Joy comes from remembering the promises of God. Because let's be honest, we have a tendency of of placing our joy or letting our joy and our happiness be dictated by what we have or especially what we don't have. But the Bible is trying to get us to, to understand, to know, to realize that it's not determined by outside circumstances, but joy comes from within. Joy comes from the promises of God, that joy comes from knowing that those who are drawn by God to Jesus Christ, that those will never be lost. So even when you go through different things, even when in life you wish that you had certain things, you can still have peace, you can still have contentment, you can still have joy because you have something far greater than you can get in this world. You have the love of God through Jesus Christ, and that is yours forever. Jesus is the true Physician who not only knows how to correctly diagnose our illnesses, but he he also knows what to prescribe to us, and that is himself, and that is what Jesus is offering. And so, let us continue to look to Jesus Christ. Let us remember the assurance of the love of God that we have in His name, and let us also be filled as we're thinking about the holiday season. Let us also be filled with an incredible sense of gratitude because all that is ours in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for your son. We thank you for giving him to us. He is our joy. He is our peace. He is our contentment. So Lord, help us to look past the things of this world, and fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. May we continue to have joy in him. Help us as we go through trials and tribulations and hardships in this life. As difficult as they are, may we never lose sight of Jesus. May we always remember that you've got us and that you will never lose us